This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Family Life News anchor Sarah Harnish. Call it the bonus spring. We get spring weather the next few days with highs in the 50s. Temperatures are 20 degrees above average. Forget the skiing. If it's 57, there are golfers out in New York. First time I've ever played in February on this course. And I've been playing since 1985. It's February and I'm out here playing golf. It's... It's hard to believe. February weather returns on Sunday. Kevin has your forecast soon. Ballot battle history being made at the U.S. Supreme Court today. Justices hearing oral arguments in former President Donald Trump's bid to get back on the ballot in Colorado. Was Trump an insurrectionist? January 6, 2021. He could be barred from running for the presidency. The Fox News team breaks down the options available to the high court. They are expected to resolve whether or not he can appear on the primary ballot in Colorado and other states, but they could also decide on the question in a very narrow ground and essentially sidestep the question of insurrection. Did he commit insurrection? The court could decide that, but you know what? That's a political hot potato and they probably won't. They'll just say, okay, he can appear on the ballot. Pundits say some decision is necessary or it'll cause disillusionment with the election process. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if the Supreme Court said, we're removing the front-running Republican candidate from the ballot, essentially saying to the American people, you won't have the opportunity to vote for him. Six Colorado voters filed the lawsuit back in the fall. Colorado's primary is March 5th. I think it would be very, very disruptive in this country. I think it will create a huge reaction, and that worries me. To have them say, on one hand, it is about democracy, and then say a former president can't be on the ballot. We'll see how it plays out. The lawsuit based on a provision of a constitutional amendment passed in 1868 that was designed to keep former Confederates from holding office. If the high court rules against Trump, it does not mean that he's immediately disqualified from running, that decision goes to each state. Every time this is court challenge, win or lose, he tends to get more momentum. Donald Trump will not attend, but he is expected to give a speech from Palm Beach later today. Nevada on deck. Donald Trump expected to sweep today's Republican caucuses there after his only remaining challenger, Nikki Haley, lost the primary there on Tuesday. This caucus today is all the locked up for former President Trump. He's the only active candidate on the ballot. But what will be interesting in, in, in the midst of all this confusion is who actually turns out? How many people turn out the caucus? The caucuses begin at 8 p.m. Eastern and run until 10.30 tonight. Worst fears confirmed. A military helicopter crashed near stormy San Diego yesterday. All five Marines aboard are dead. Complications and the difficulty as the search continues. It's incredibly rocky terrain, which has made this complicated. Their remains were found this morning. The helicopter, which was traveling from Nevada to California Tuesday night, was reported missing when it didn't land at the expected time. The crash site was located yesterday after an hours-long search in the snow, and now efforts to recover the Marines have begun. President Biden says he and the First Lady are heartbroken over the loss. Now to Iraq, where the U.S. has taken out a top commander blamed for a deadly attack on American forces. Iraqis are calling it an assassination, and it sparked protests there today. (laughs) 
A crowd in Baghdad chanting, America is the devil. The commander was blamed for the attack in Jordan that killed three service members. Abu Bakr al-Saidi was a senior official in Qatayib Hezbollah, which is one of the Iran-backed militias operating in Iraq and Syria. Pentagon correspondent David Martin said yes, it was an assassination. The drone operator is basically given the clearance to take the shot when he can take it. So all day, somebody has been tracking this commander as he moved about Baghdad. They attract him for days. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has left the Middle East after failing to convince Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to agree to a Hamas counteroffer in the war in Gaza. While there are some clear non-starters in Hamas's response, we do think it creates space for agreement to be reached. And we will work at that relentlessly. Hamas's deal included a pause in fighting there and the release of all hostages. Netanyahu called them delusional. The U.S. Senate will try one more time today to break up the political deadlock holding up aid to Ukraine and Israel. This time, their bill will not include protections for the U.S. border. Democrats in the Senate that worked for months on the bill that was shot down are irritated. Americans are ticked off that this is not resolved and they expect us to get things done. So why don't we do that? My Republican colleagues changed their minds. Turns out they want all talk and no action. Republicans say the bill in its last form would have done more damage. Why not give it a chance? Why not try to tweak it? Do some yeah. amendments? So in actual, I think it could even make things worse. There is some indication President Biden may take the matter into his own hands. The White House could soon take executive action on the border. Search crews will enter a home near Philadelphia today where police say someone shot two officers then set the place on fire. Our fear, of course, is that they were inside the house. Six people are unaccounted for. That volcano in Iceland just erupted for the third time since December, shooting jets of molten lava 260 feet into the air and disrupting the water supply. The earthquake center in Okinawa says it's not near a large population. The good news about this particular eruption today is that it's well away from the town of Grindavik, which has suffered badly and suffered badly in the last eruptions. Iceland has just raised its alert level to emergency status. And NASA's newest climate satellite rocked into a rare polar orbit this morning. Ignition, engine full power, and liftoff. The PACE will spend three years in space studying changes to the Earth's oceans. Still to come on the Noon Report, sin taxes, credit card fees exposed, and what do walkie-talkies and 10,000 chicken wings have in common? We'll tell you after peak at weather. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams, calling for a taste of spring these next couple of days. I'll have the forecast coming up in 10. Thank you, Kevin. Check in the story making news where you live across New York and Pennsylvania. Sin is in. That is the message pundits say out of Governor Shapiro's budget this week in Pennsylvania. The governor covering a portion of the $48 billion budget by taxing skill games and marijuana. They're called sin taxes. Here's Josh Shapiro. I think it's time for a solution. We can't do away with them. We should regulate them and tax them. Republican Senator Joe Pittman signaled conservatives might align with Shapiro on this one. I do think there is is 
some belief that it is time to regulate and tax games of skill. The question is who regulates it, who is taxed, and how much are they taxed? That's where the fight starts among large casinos and small local clubs that operate skills games. Eric Hauser runs casinos across the state, and he said this to WHTM-TV. It does seem a little odd that we're paying 54% tax on a game and they're paying zero. No word yet on how it will all be sorted out. Shapiro says taxing the games at 42% will give the state $150 million. Meanwhile, Josh Shapiro was toting the new budget in appearances across the state on Wednesday. He spoke to farmers in New Holland, Pennsylvania. If you want to think about being more competitive, you want to think about Pennsylvania being able to lead the nation more, You've got to think about our farms. Shapiro's budget invests $10.3 million in programs to help farmers be more efficient and productive. A new law that changes credit card surcharge policies takes effect just in time for Super Bowl Sunday in New York. It requires businesses to disclose any credit card fees they're charging on the bill up front. Kelly Matris is owner of Selena's Mexican restaurant at Village Gate. It was so confusing about where to put it on the check and how to word it that we just decided it was would stay as it was before, which is just a cost of doing business. The chairman of Brighton Securities, George Conboy, says it's a protection for you. If the merchant wants to charge you two, three, four percent on top of your purchase, the amount the merchant charges can't exceed what they're paying the credit card company. Matra says have grace with small business owners. Be kind and ask questions. Just ask them if you don't understand it and people will explain it, I'm sure. Nobody wants to have an angry customer and um, we're all just trying to do the best we can. The law does not apply to debit cards, only credit cards. There are multiple bills to keep an eye on in the Pennsylvania House that would restrict and ban certain firearms. Family Life's Mark Webster has a preview. Yeah, House Bill 336 would ban future sales of assault weapons unless you're in the military or a member of law enforcement. House Bill 1190 bans 3D printed firearms. If it passes, you'd need a license to print a gun or any of its components. House Bill 1157 would knock the length of time to wait for a background check from seven days to under 96 hours. And House Bill 777 would ban ghost gun parts, untraceable, untrackable guns. The PA House reconvenes on March 18th. Mark Webster, Family Life News. Governor Kathy Hochul says 20 towns in upstate New York will get a higher priority for grants to build houses. Hochul said Wednesday the state is short on homes. We are no longer on a path to achieve our full potential if we don't have enough housing to keep the people, the families, the teachers, the firefighters, everyone who wants to stay in their communities where they were raised, where they want to raise kids because we have stopped building. Binghamton, Dunkirk, Kingston, Dryden, Plattsburgh, and Johnson City among the cities up for grants. The NTSB has given a date on when it will release the cause of the fiery train wreck that happened miles from the western Pennsylvania border. Federal investigators say they'll hold a hearing at East Palestine High School in Ohio in June. That would mark 17 months since the derailment prompted evacuations and left residents worried about possible long-term health problems from the chemicals that spilled and burned. The 2024 State of Education report's been released in Pennsylvania. Educators' top two concerns for 2024 are mental health 
and staffing. A student cannot learn in a school system that's understaffed. A student can't learn if they're having mental health challenges either at home or in a school. So funding these needs will help us in ensuring that we're meeting our students exactly where they are. The 48-page report comes out yearly. This year's edition saw a theme among schools and PA needing cash to address mental health. It is tax season and 50% of Americans use a service to file. My path is one free option that people in Pennsylvania can use. Jeffrey Johnson works for the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue. My path, it's a very uh, simple online system that guides you through the process step-by-step of filing your uh, personal income tax return. You just need to make sure that you have all of your documents in hand before you get started, but it's really simple, um, quick, and an easy way to save yourself a few dollars this tax season. You can check it out at mypath.pa.gov. 9,800 people in the upstate New York town of Fredonia are under a boil water advisory for the third time this year. The Chautauqua County Health Department just issued a warning saying a disruption in treatment at the water plant led to water that wasn't adequately treated. People in Rochester got together last night to celebrate the birthday of the late Susan B. Anthony. Her part was played by an incredible reenactor at the Rochester Riverside Convention Center. I believe I'm 204. Anthony from Rochester was known for leading the women's rights movement and refusing to support prohibition. My birthday is just the vehicle, and what they're doing is really supporting all the things that I worked on throughout my life, uh, women's rights, abolition especially. Anthony gained fame for her speeches railing against slavery. And it's time for pizza and wings. Restaurants in New York and PA are in the crunch of preparing for Super Bowl Sunday. Michael Green owns Harvey's Garden in Syracuse. If you're looking to go out and experience something out of your house, we think we're going to be a good spot for that. According to the National Chicken Council, Americans will eat 1.45 billion wings this weekend. Nick Ford with Limp Lizard in Syracuse says his team is ready for it. We kind of treat Super Bowl Sunday like its own event. My whole staff buys into it. We do fryers in the back. We do fryers in the kitchen. Different pickup areas. We all have walkie-talkies. We all work together to make it happen. Ford's restaurant alone serves 10,300 wings in a day. Let's switch gears. Next up, sports as the Noon Report continues on Family Life. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Sarah Jimmy Vesey scored a pair of goals as the New York Rangers took down the Tampa Bay Lightning 3-1 at the Garden last night. The Blue Shirts have now won three straight while the Lightning had their three-game winning streak snapped. Toronto edged Dallas 5-4 and the Wild also won by one goal, 2-1 over the Blackhawks. On to the NBA, the woes continue for the Philadelphia 76ers. They were only down three points at the half, but Golden State blew Philly out in the third quarter. 43-23 to they outscored them and the 76ers never recovered. 127-104 the final. The 76ers are now 30-20 and on the season but having to play four weeks or more without their big gun Joel Embiid could find them with a losing record by the time he comes back. Philadelphia has lost six of their last seven games. Elsewhere in the NBA, Toronto beat Charlotte 123-117. The Wizards lost to the Cavs 114-106. The Celtics knocked off Atlanta 125-117. Miami victorious over San Antonio 116-104. The Pelicans 117. The Clippers 106. 
And Detroit beat Sacramento 133 to 120. Nick Saban retired from football, but he won't be far from the game with his new gig. The former Alabama head coach will be joining the college game day team as an analyst. You win seven national championships. Yeah, you probably have a pretty good idea how to analyze the game. And just a reminder, Sarah, the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be playing a pretty big football game on Sunday. That is a look at sports. Still to come on the Noon Report, a case the Supreme Court has never heard before. Swazi and Mozzie neck and neck. And it's not every day that you catch a police officer doing this on a body cam. Let's go. We'll just start clearing room by room. <laughs> Something was in the room. We've got that story coming up in a few minutes. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Chuck Holson often said that Christianity is more than a relationship with Jesus. Well, it isn't less than that, to be sure. One of the most amazing things about God's posture toward us is that he not only reveals his will, he reveals himself, especially in Christ Jesus. And he relates to us and with us personally, loving us, forgiving us, leading us. But while Christianity is personal, it is not private. It makes claims about all of reality, most notably that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Christianity cannot be reduced to some therapeutic or pragmatic formula. It is to be lived out publicly, too, which is another way of saying that followers of Christ have to embrace that Jesus Christ is Lord over all of reality. Chuck Colson founded the Colson Center to help Christians cultivate this kind of robust, comprehensive Christian worldview so that the challenges of this cultural moment, which are serious, could be understood and could be engaged from the bigger story of reality that's described in Holy Scripture. Colson Fellows, in particular, learn to take their place in this story through biblically grounded cultural analysis, by discerning how to live with Christian wisdom and courageous faith, and by effectively advancing the kingdom in the times and places where God has put them. Recently, I asked Michael Craven, Vice President of Equipping and Mobilization at the Colson Center, to describe what the Colson Fellows Program is really like. Here's Michael. It's a 10-month program, begins July 1st every year. It concludes in May of each following year. Students are led through a very carefully curated curriculum that they access through an online learning management system. So every day they're logging in, they have assignments, they complete those assignments. The next morning they wake up and they've got new assignments. And then they're meeting in a monthly cohort with fellow learners and they're discussing what they're learning, what they're reading, what they're viewing. They're assigned about 13 to 14 books to read over the course of these 10 months. And at the end of that 10-month program, they don't graduate. They receive a commission as a Colson Fellow. And that is very deliberate because the program does not end. It is a commencement. It is a beginning. The goal is to send you out on mission with a deeper understanding of the times in which we live and how you can live faithfully in those times. Well, during this 10-month program in a community-based learning environment, Colson Fellows, to put it mildly, cover a lot of ground. Again, here's Michael Craven describing the scope of the topics. We want to talk about the things that are confronting us in such a a overwhelming and seemingly virulent manner at times, such as the controversy and confusion over gender identity. 
the controversy and confusion over human sexuality. What is right? What is wrong? What is moral? What is good? Why is it good? Or why is it wrong? We want to talk about marriage, God's design for marriage, and why it is not just a, a moral good, but it is a real social good, a real cultural good. Applications are currently being accepted for next year's class of Colson Fellows. To learn more about the program, to ask any questions that you have, to be connected with local cohort leaders, or to request more information, go to colsonfellows.org. That's colsonfellows.org. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Jared Hayden. And again, to learn more about this program, go to colsonfellows.org. Afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. An area of high pressure will be protecting our region from any heavy weather in the short term. Early spring weather conditions will be the result. For this day through the afternoon, partly sunny and mild. High temps not far from 50. Today, mostly cloudy, mild. Slight chance of a brief shower overnight. Low temps 30s to near 40. Tomorrow, quite mild. Lots of clouds and a little peak or two of the sun. High temps into the 50s. Continued quite mild Saturday, though cloudy with some rain moving in. And high temperatures into the 50s. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report on Family Life, and I'm your host, Sarah Harnish. Here's what's happening this Thursday afternoon, the 8th of February. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court is considering Donald Trump's eligibility to run for President of the United States. No state has ever kept a candidate off the ballot for engaging in insurrection, so it's a big deal. Oral arguments in the landmark case kicked off at 10 this morning in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump is appealing a decision that got him removed from the primary ballot in Colorado. You cannot overstate the importance of this case. Donald Trump's not going to be here today. His advisors want no distractions because if he loses this case, his presidential campaign, his political career, it's over. That's the stakes. The case stems around the riots January 6, 2021. Here's CBS reporter Jan Crawford. The Supreme Court has never considered this issue. It involves an obscure part of the Constitution, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. No person shall hold any office who took an oath as an officer of the United States, but then engaged in insurrection. The case was filed by six people in Colorado last fall. Legal analyst Lori Levinson explains what may come of this. Many scholars believe that the Supreme Court is likely to try to find some way to avoid making this decision, whether it be procedural avenues that the case should not be before the court or a narrow ruling regarding what constitutes insurrection. Former Trump counselor Kellyanne Conway says the high court's decision could undermine confidence in the U.S. election. Process. You can't just have one person in Maine and a couple people in Colorado speak for the rest of the country. Where these attempts have been made in state after state, including so-called blue states, the cases have been dismissed. So we're just looking really right now at a handful of states, a few states where they have prevailed because they don't know how to beat Donald Trump fairly and squarely vis-a-vis be the people. Trump is not in the courtroom, but he will give a speech from Palm Beach later today. The U.S. military says it carried out a drone strike in Iraq that killed one of the masterminds responsible for the deadly attack on U.S. troops in Jordan. This was a strike aimed at a car in the heart of downtown Baghdad. U.S. officials say they are highly confident there was only one person in that car when it was struck, and they say that person was a senior commander in the Iran-backed militant group known as Kataib Hezbollah. It's led to protests in the capital of Iraq. The five Marines in a helicopter crash in California have been found dead. We're still at that location, has visual on the 
Crusade. Search teams combed the area outside San Diego looking for the chopper that went down in heavy rain. The terrain, treacherous. They had to go on foot to search the area of the coordinates of the last known location of that helicopter. Now to Congress and Senator Bernie Sanders. He wants pharmaceutical CEOs to explain why drug prices are so high. The heads of Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and Bristol-Myers Squibb will appear before the U.S. Senate Health Committee today. A new poll shows Tom Suozzi leading Mozzie Pillup by four points in the race to replace George Santos in Congress. The two neck and neck in the final week of the race. Santos was only the sixth person to be expelled from the House. The winner will complete his unexpired term, which ends the beginning of next year. And friends and family members have gathered to pay their respects to one of the last Pearl Harbor survivors. He was a resident of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Michael Kastner reports. We have witnessed this morning a severe bombing of Pearl Harbor by enemy planes, undoubtedly Japanese. That's a live report as the attack on Pearl Harbor took place December 7, 1941. Allentown, Pennsylvania resident Richard Schimmel was a staff sergeant at the 581st Signal Aircraft Warning Battalion, and his family members say he was the fifth person to know the Japanese were attacking. Schimmel died earlier this week at the age of 101. He was laid to rest Wednesday with full military honors. I'm Michael Kastner. Up next, our own Greg Gillespie with the professor of pop culture, Bob Thompson, at Syracuse University. Let's listen in. It is this holiday that centers around a television show. But I suppose we could say that about Thanksgiving, which is very much centered around uh, uh, the Thanksgiving Day Parade, which is usually one of the highest rated non-sports show of the year. Even New Year's Eve, generally people have the countdown. However, Thanksgiving, uh, New Year's, television is important to those holidays. Super Bowl Sunday is a holiday that is exclusively centered around a TV show, which is, of course, the broadcast of uh, the Super Bowl. And as such, it's really become one of the most successful creations of a whole new, out-of-the-blue holiday. Super Bowl Sunday is pretty good timing, and it does still serve as one of the only things that we're all watching at the same time, the same thing. It gets by far the biggest television audience of the year, and whatever's in second place is in a very, very distant second. Pop culture expert Robert Thompson of Syracuse University. Let's talk about Super Bowl commercials. It's really three shows now. It's the game itself, it's the halftime show, and Madison Avenue has convinced us in an incredible sleight of hand that we should care about the commercials as well, that this is some film festival. So that's uh, uh, a third element also. And of course, we get new commercials. Now they preview on uh, the internet ahead of time. They may be paying $7 million for 30 seconds per ad, But that gets a lot more than just the 30 seconds. It gets all the conversation before the people coming in to uh, do previews and discussions the morning after. I remember when it was a big deal that USA Today would have the reviews ranking them from from top to bottom the day after the premiere of the 30-second commercial, whether it was the Clydesdales or the Doritos or whatever, happened during the pregame show or the first quarter or the second quarter. Does that affect the way consumers look at this when every ad that's going to be on the Super Bowl is already out on the the website days before? 
Yeah, well, it is interesting how the evolution of the Super Bowl commercial. So, yeah, it starts out, uh, they just have, you know, commercials in the Super Bowl. Then we get to this period where they uh, try to convince the audience that the commercials are just as special, if not more so, than the game. And then we get that period in the 80s and the 90s where we get these big ads, very expensive, seen for the first time in Super Bowls, sometimes 60 seconds long, not just 30 seconds long, occasionally even uh, longer than that. And there was that period where everybody, you know, the the joke was you go to the bathroom during the game now, not during the uh, commercials. Then the Internet comes along and also the idea that the Super Bowl is the only place where you can get a huge audience. And the Super Bowl ad shifted at that point. Now the idea is because USA Today has the ad meter, because all the morning shows talk about it, a Super Bowl ad gives you a lot more than just the ad when it plays in the Super Bowl. You get all of that extra discussion by simply being a Super Bowl ad. And in the Internet, they tried to leverage that. If we're going to pay $7 million for 30 seconds, which it is in uh, 2024, we want to get our money's worth. So they started putting little previews. And some of the ads you can see before the Super Bowl in their entirety, many of them are teases. They're essentially advertisements for advertisements. And it, of course, gets everybody talking. The conversation we're having right now uh, is an example of that, uh, which means those commercials start paying for themselves long before they actually air on TV. But it does, there is a sense in which it's less exciting. Back then, you had to be watching when it was on, uh, and you were constantly surprised. There hadn't been a lot of reporting about who was going to be on these ads and what they were going to be about and all of that. And I think we've grown a lot more cynical. After 25 years of being told the commercials are the best thing on Super Bowls, we've started paying attention. And while there's always a few that are kind of amusing, a few might bring a tear to our eyes, they're really not the most spectacular thing uh, 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 that we've seen, which we've been led to believe. We're talking with Bob Thompson at the Syracuse University. He studies pop culture and has been doing this for a long time. Any perspectives that you have on how to be a wise consumer and make sense and keep the Super Bowl <laughs> hyperbole in perspective? Well, well, I mean, I think a general rule of thumb is uh, assume that every advertisement is deceptive until proven otherwise. Now, that isn't to say that advertising can't be useful and give one information and all the rest of it, but the whole industry of advertising has roots in snake oil salesmanship and all the rest of it. And when one is watching the Super Bowl ads, I think as amusement, you know, watching human beings chase cheetahs down the desert to get their, their Cheetos back, that can be really funny. I don't think that means when one goes to the grocery store, one should be uh, setting one's list according to these sorts of things. So I guess it, uh, as amusing interruptions of a game that you may or may not be interested in, Super Bowl ads can be a lot of fun. Like anything else, though, one has to take their messages knowing who it is, in fact, that the messages are coming from. You can hear more of our feature with Bob Thompson, professor of pop culture at Syracuse University, by hopping online anytime at familylife.org. Let's get one last check of weather with Kevin Williams. 
Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. An area of high pressure will be protecting our region from any heavy weather in the short term. Some pleasant early spring weather conditions will be the result. A strong cold front is being monitored now in the heartland. that will bring us showers to start the weekend and a return to chilly air thereafter. In fact, chilly enough that the next system poses the risk of snow, yes, early next week. For this day, through the afternoon, partly sunny and mild. High temps, not far from 50. Tonight, mostly cloudy, mild. Slight chance of a brief shower overnight. Low temps, 30s to near 40. Tomorrow, quite mild. Lots of clouds, a little peak or two at the sun. High temps into the 50s. Continued quite mild Saturday, though cloudy with some rain moving in. And high temperatures into the 50s. Continued quite mild are the best words we can hear. Finally, at noon, a sneaky squirrel spooked a police officer during an intrusion call in Liberty, Missouri last week. The police department just released the humorous body cam video. Let's go. We'll just start clearing room by room. Oh, it's right there. It's a squirrel. I just saw it. Tony, now you can disregard the help. We got a squirrel in the house. Yes, you can clear the air. Police never know what they're going to encounter. The squirrel ran off, keeping it light, and police posted an online warrant saying, Rocky the squirrel remains at large. Approach with extreme caution. And that's the world that we live in for Thursday, the 8th of February. I'm Sarah Harnish, and this is Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News Podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.